everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneurial Podcast. Today's guest is my friend, Andrew Lassis. Andrew is a business coach and the founder of Rush Tech Online, an IT company that provides tech support services for accounting firms. Andrew took an unusual part to entrepreneurship and now runs an IT company that provides services specifically for the accounting industry. He's been featured in several publications and podcasts, and I'm pleased to have him on the show today to tell us a little bit more about his entrepreneurial journey, why he pivoted from business into IT, and his work with not only accounting clients that his company focuses on, but other small and mid-sized businesses as a small business coach. So with that said, Andrew, welcome to the show. Gee, thanks so much for having me. It's a it is an honor and a privilege, and I'm super stoked to be part of this. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, Andrew. I appreciate you taking the time today. So, Andrew, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get to where you are today? Your background on LinkedIn said you studied business and finance, but now you're running an IT company and you're working with accounting firms. So what's the what's the trajectory of your career arc from business to IT? All right. So I, I've always had the the entrepreneur bug ever since I was young. When I was in high school, I was playing in a band and I, I started and I didn't re- realize at the time that this is entrepreneurship and running a business, but it was how do we play more shows? How do we get more right. fans? And this was this was pre-MySpace even. This was pure volume was our spot and it was where do we get more listeners? How do we build channel partnerships where we're Mm. working with other bands and playing shows together? And so there's a lot of business fundamentals that started in that music scene. And we were all just broke high school kids and we wanted to press an album and we had the recordings, but the actual printing and duplication was too expensive for us. So I had looked into, well, could we mass produce these ourselves and so i bought cd duplication and printing software did it for my band and then other bands are like oh could you do this for us too and i'm like okay i guess i could make money doing this and so and you know it's kind of dating it and it's funny to think now that it's outdated but this is back Mm -hmm. when people bought cds CDs, (laughs) (laughs) you know before it changed to everyone purchases music online before it changed to Streaming. you know streaming in spotify and stuff like that so it's yeah. funny the trajectory so my first company i had a cd duplication company yeah. and liquidated that so started in 2005 sold everything off in 2008 i could see you know record sales are not going to ever go up mm-hmm. and so at the time i was in school for finance and financial planning my mom is a small business banker and my dad's a stockbroker, so my whole life, I had been told, go to school, get good grades, go to college, get, get good grades, get a job in finance. It's the safe, smart move to do. And yeah. so that was my trajectory. And I I had a interest in IT, like I was in big into like the Counter Strike and Half Life scene of like the mm. the early two thousands, and so I I played around with scripts and things like that. I took okay. I took programming classes in high school and did well in them, and some in college. And so the initial plan was financial planner, 
with a minor in statistics. And then I took a statistics class, realized I hated that. And it was funny though, the semester that I was a stats minor, I was taking a class in IT, like it was probably something like uh, like Office Suite or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or it was, because this was a database project in Access. And, and we had a group project, and the two people in my group, they were kind of slackers. And I was like, look, like I know this stuff already. Like Just let me do the project. I'll put our names on it. Good to go. So we, I turn it in, do the project, and we get our test results back. And we got a zero on the project that I told my team, don't worry, I'll do it. Yeah. And so I go to the professor. I'm like, Hey, you know, I think there was a mistake. You know, we got a zero on it. He was like, Oh no, you turned in a homework instead of the project. You attached the wrong file and I don't accept late work. So you guys all get a zero. And I was like, well, that's not how the world should work. I'm going to tell on you. And so I went to the head of the IT department at my university and I was like, look, I turned in the wrong thing. Like I actually did the project, but I, you know, I, I get penalizing me for doing it late, but mm-hmm. it was an honest mistake. You can look at the timestamp. Like I did do the project and you know, I, I get where he's coming from. But anyway, so she looks at my project and she was like, why are you a finance major? Like if you put all this together, like what are you doing in finance and statistics? Like, you should be doing IT or at least minor in it. Like you're very good at this stuff. And so I was like, I hate statistics. I like IT. So I'll just, I I guess I'll just minor in IT and like take some computer classes and just get a bunch of A's in it. And that's essentially what happened. I got straight A's in my minor, graduated with my financial planning degree in 2009 during one of the worst recessions in u.s history and nobody wants to hire a financial planner that is a kid with zero experience during a recession so the the story i've been told my whole life get good grades go to college get good grades you'll have a job people will be knocking down the door to get andrew lacis from salisbury university just working like you'll run the company in two years. Like that's what I had been told. And you know, I graduated and it was like, this is not the way that the actual world works. Like, sorry, you spent 23 years believing this lie, but now you've got to figure something else out. And Mm -hmm. so my fallback, I had done restaurants a couple years. I worked my way up the corporate ladder at Carabas and, um, it was, it it wasn't exactly what I wanted to be doing, but it it worked. Right. Yeah. And and like I, I liked the service industry. I liked helping other people. And um then I moved to Florida in 2013 and didn't have any anything lined up. It was just, well, I need a job. So mm-hmm. I had spoken with a, a friend. And he was like, oh, go go work at this place, this call center. Uh, they do sales. They hire everybody. I'm like, okay, cool. So I go in, and I actually brought the wrong resume. I had like a sales resume, and I had a mm-hmm. tech resume. Because I'd been trying to get a job in tech, but I just couldn't break through. And I accidentally yeah. brought my wrong resume. Yeah. And the the person interviewing me, he's looking at it, and he's like, oh, 
like I, I don't know. I, I had in here that, that you were going for a sales job. I'm sorry, but we need you in the tech department. And I was like, what? It's like, I, I didn't even know what the company did. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, so do you, could you work in the tech department? And I'm like, yes, I've been trying to get this job <laughs> for the last like five years. Cause finance wasn't going to happen. And I liked the tech more than I liked the finance. Mm. I just didn't think you could really get a job in it. And so that started my trajectory. I had done, I was working tech at my university and like the computer labs, but it, it was like changing printer paper and yeah. like basic troubleshooting. Like, did you turn it off? Did you turn it on? No. Yeah. Okay. Then escalate it. So, so I get this job and I'm working in the IT department. I'm a low level tech but I'm learning a whole lot, taking a whole lot in. I really enjoyed helping people. I really enjoyed the IT piece of it, learning every day. And then, like the company, it was like explosive growth. Like when I got there, there was maybe like 50, 75 employees. And like in the next six months, it grew to like 500 people. And like no one had any clue about anything. So I just promoted myself to an escalation tech. Like they were all in a separate room. And I just kind of acted as if, and I just went to my boss and was like, oh yeah, I'm doing escalation work now. And he was like, oh, okay, whatever. This place is so, nobody knows what's going on ever. So I just got a, (laughs) a higher level job, didn't get a raise or anything, but I learned so much in that position. And then Mm. some friends reached out. They were like, Hey, we're starting a tech company. We want you to run the IT department. And I was like, nah, like, a startup. It's risky. I got a good thing at this place learning every day. So, you know, I'm going to pass. And it was just one of those moments where it was, I took a step back and it was like, everything in my life has lined up perfectly for this opportunity. Like, what if this is the startup that like I've been looking to do my whole life? Mm. And basically what I, what I realized was this was that opportunity. And Mm -hmm. so I I came back and I was like, look, I'll, I'll do it. And so I ended up, I believe I took a pay cut to do this and increased all my responsibilities. But I was day one new startup running the tech department full everything. Like I get to choose everything, how it all works, what the workflow looks like. Then I discover like, nothing in a tech business actually has anything to do with tech. There's so much more on like sales and marketing marketing and automation and CRMs and like all these words that I learned in college, but didn't really mean anything to me. Oh, you need a customer relationship management system to be able to track your leads. It's like, okay, I'll remember that for a test. But then when you're in an actual business, it's like, how do you keep track of all your leads? Like, is there a software that does this? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. CRM. Like there's a whole lot of remembering stuff from college. It's like, that's what I was learning, but now applies to my life. Yeah. So that company, it was really good at first. And then like is one of those moments that kind of sticks in your head, kind of like nine 11, like everyone remembers where they were at when that mm-hmm. happened, like one of those flash uh, memories. And and he was like, "Hey guys, uh, we need to have a family meeting." Brings everybody oh, in, that's and never good, right, right. And he's like, "As you guys know, we've we've been struggling the last couple of weeks, uh, and you know, unfortunately, I've run out of money. So here's your last paychecks. 
but you don't have to come in Monday. We're out of business. And so it was just like, crap, man, like the, this, the, this was supposed to be the thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So now, um, I'll, I'll, I'll pull back a little bit before we go further. So when you started working in the restaurant industry and you were, you know, just doing jobs to make them, did you at any point, um, lose hope that you would, you know, find a career you love and be making money. And how did you get your mindset fixed to, to go through those tough times? You know, that's a great question. And I actually recall I was managing a restaurant. It wasn't Carava's. It was, it was shortly after I'd worked there. And I remember one day coming home and being like, you know what? Like nothing matters. Like you shouldn't work hard. Like, all life is, is showing up to work, saying yes to your boss, kissing his butt, and that's how you get ahead. That's, mm. That is what life is, is you become a yes man. You don't try to come up with ideas. You don't try to solve problems. You don't try to improve things. Just show up, say yes, keep your job, don't get fired. That's mm. all life is. And that was the conclusion that I had come to. And I remember that job an, another time where... Um, my my boss, and this is before I had moved to Florida, before I got in IT, and my boss sat me down, and he, I was always in trouble messing up something. And he was like, do you think this is going to be a good conversation or a bad one? And I said, well, it's pretty much always a bad one, so you know, let me have it. And he's like, well, it depends on how you look at it. Maybe this is the beginning of something else, which, you know, <laughs> hindsight 2020, it actually was yeah. a great thing that they got rid of that bondage that I had to that job. Mm-hmm. And they, um, they, they let me go. And then it was just the opportunity came to go to Florida and it was like, I don't really have anything going on in Maryland. So, you know, mm-hmm. worst case scenario, I'll go back to living with my parents. I did that for 23 years anyway. And like, it wasn't terrible. I was 26 at the time and, and things started working out. But then once I was in the startup, I started realizing I actually do have the ability to to dictate this is how we should do things. This is how we don't do things. And there were a lot of things like the the company, the tech company I was at that was growing a whole lot. I learned so much about what to do and what not to do yeah. and things that I really didn't want in the company that that we had started and it was like, look, these guys were partnering with all these software companies that were just garbage. And I had to basically lie to customers and be like, yeah, it's great that you bought this prop, this product that's ruining your computer because that's how we got in touch with you in the first place. So it was very backwards. And so it was just like, if we're going to do the startup, like we're only dealing with great software companies, great people. And but then they went out of business. And so then it's like, well, you know, maybe that honesty thing didn't work. And, Mm. but then, so we had like 500 clients though, like despite ourselves, it just wasn't profitable, but like we had a lot of clients. And so I made an agreement with the owner when he had that family meeting. And I was like, look, I want to work for myself. I've already run this whole department by myself anyway. So look, these people were all paying monthly fees. And I said, you keep collecting this money for the next two months. We're not going to tell anyone we're out of business. 
Just keep collecting their money. I'll work for you for free. After month two, if the phone rings, I'm just going to tell them we got to update their billing information and they will pay me instead of you. So anyone mm. that never uses the service, they keep paying you. Anyone that does use the service, they'll pay me. So it was a, it was a good situation for both of us because I, I didn't have any way to acquire customers, but the ones that were calling, they all liked me. They were doing business with me. So whether yeah. or not the company was called Rescue Tech or Rush Tech, they didn't care. They wanted to be doing business with Andrew. Yeah. So, so once I started realizing like I can do this and it was just me in my living room and I knew nothing about running a business, but I, I started, it started kind of clicking how all these things come Fit together. together. Exactly. Yeah. And then the, the piece that really started putting a gasoline on, on this fire was I had a friend that was working at a competitor and he was like, you guys had 500 customers and the only ones that are paying you are the ones that use it all the time. So it sounds like the old owner got it pretty good. Like he's not paying you anything. Those people are paying him. Like how do you reach out to those people and remind them to use you? Mm. And I had never thought about that before. And so the first year when it was pretty much just me, we did 36,000. And then year two, when we started focusing on sales and there were a ton of merger acquisitions where people were like, Hey, you did that with rescue with 500 customers. Could you do it with 60,000 customers? And so we, we had a lot of giant opportunities. And so year one was like 36,000 year two was almost 2 million. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, you got to learn real quick when you change from a five figure to a seven figure company because yeah. it's, it's not the same thing. And, Hiring people, hiring friends, hiring managers, firing friends, dealing with upset clients, dealing with raving clients, dealing with insurance, dealing with mm -hmm. unemployment, W-2. You know, when it was my friends, it was 1099s. Mm -hmm. Now there's laws because it's not just Andrew in his living room. But I was forced to learn all these things. And it was, it was a great learning experience. Mm. So now talk a little bit more about why you decided to focus specifically on the accounting industry, because to me, it seems like, yeah, you have a good thing going. IT pretty much like accounting as an industry. IT kind of is one of those infrastructure industries where every business, whether it's financial, accounting, legal, they all need IT services, you know, accounting manufacturing, IT, whatever, you all need accounting. Stuff. So why did you decide to just pivot into that one specific area? Because to me, it doesn't seem obvious right away that accounting will probably be the best or the highest need for IT tech support services. Sure. So the kind of your description is the exact reason why we pivoted. And what you had said, everybody needs IT, right? Mm -hmm. And when everybody needs it, then it becomes a commodity. Mm. And when it's a commodity, then people are more prone to be price shopping. Yeah. And so we have to devalue our services because the guy down the street that also has tech in his name mm -hmm. is willing to do it for half price because he doesn't have the overhead that we have. And, you know, we could sit there till we're blue in the face about why you shouldn't hire some kid that has no idea what they're doing 
because your business is more important than that, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, you know, we'd be losing out on clients mm-hmm. and then kind of fighting to try to prove our value where when we took a step back and realized like our accounting clients, they go through a lot of the same stuff that we go through where mm. they're in an industry that gets commoditized. People say, well, this accountant will do it for cheaper than you. It's mm. a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of parallels in our industries. And with my background in finance, I had done an internship with the IRS and the volunteer income tax assistant program. And so I personally have more experience in the accounting field than okay. anybody else. I mean, not anybody, but like 99% of tech people versus me. I probably know more about accounting than they do because of my unique background in finance and in accounting and having run a company before. So I was in a unique position to mm-hmm. where, I didn't want to be everything to everybody. And we look at the accounting profession and it was like, this makes sense. And then they released uh, publication 4557, which specifies details on what cybersecurity needs to look like in an accounting practice. And most tech people were not aware of this, but we were aware of it. So we have this differentiator that we actually know more about the accounting space than our competitors, which then puts us in a unique position of being the experts in our industry. And it's less of a commodity. It's not you're the general practitioner. It's we're the brain surgeon. And if you've got a tumor and you need someone to perform brain surgery, are you going to price shop and try to get the general practitioner or... Mm -hmm are you going to get a brain surgeon that can handle your specific issue? And so we position ourselves that way. The accountant area versus anybody else, it, it really was just, it made a lot of sense. And that the great thing, I mean, you know, you get on podcasts because of your wins, but you get to where you're at because of just countless failures. So, you know, the the failures aren't the things that are making the highlight real. Like accountants Mm -hmm. were probably like the fourth niche that we had tried because it was like, we'll do dentists. And then it's like, we hate working with dentists. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, we'll work with chiropractors. We've got a bunch of chiropractors just randomly. And then it was like, but then we've got to deal with all this stuff with HIPAA and, like we're just not equipped for like these super high level things. And then Mm -hmm. I was like, we'll work with lawyers and it's like everybody has tech for lawyers and there's a million different kinds. And then it was like the accountants, CPAs, the enrolled agents, like this actually makes sense and we can speak their language and they speak Mm -hmm. our language. And so communication with them has been a lot better. And so that was really kind of how it all came together. And then it for accountants, you know, we're not taking on like at one point through channel partners, we were getting a hundred new clients per day and it, it is very, very crazy. Anyone that's been in an explosive growth environment where you have to go from 10 to 30 employees overnight and then 30 uh-huh. to 50 overnight in order to keep up with demand. Like it's very, very stressful and uh-huh. everybody has these specific needs and there's some techs that know things and others that don't. And then it was mm-hmm. like, if we consolidate this, 
we're not going to be fighting the, well, this guy will do it for cheaper. That, yeah. that doesn't exist anymore. Well, maybe it still exists, but not well, in the lesser, same way. To a lesser degree, yeah. Because when we've positioned ourselves as the experts in the field and we can back it up, they're less likely to leave anyway because mm-hmm. our offering is tailored specifically to them and not tailored to here is what everybody gets and this is good enough for everybody and this is the only mm-hmm. way we can. So, you know, when we get specialized things with random nuanced issues with like Drake accounting that like other tech companies, if they said Drake accounting, they'd be like, what's that? Whereas, <laughs> whereas for us, it's like, you're the third Drake issue that I've dealt with today. Okay. So and, getting special. And to remind everybody listening to this, Drake accounting is not Drake the musician's accounting. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought I chipped that in there. So I love what you said about you know trying different industries because um, as an entrepreneur, it is very important to figure out you know which industry or which niche do you mesh with the best. And sometimes you probably never know unless you try. So. Um, I, I love the fact that you went through dentists, chiropractors, and um, lawyers because, honestly speaking, if you're doing anything online, those are probably the three biggest um, industries that people try to always go and get clients from. Oh, dentists, chiropractors, this. But I'm like looking at um, I forget what it's called, the directory, but they're like over 700, if not more than that. I'm sure I'm underestimating, but I look at the top 700. Um, NAIC codes for industries. So, and yeah, you start off with like office of dental and, you know, chiropractor and lawyer and all that. Stuff. But if you go down that list, you still see that the accounting industry has like in States, for example, over a million businesses are accounting industry. So if you're going to specialize there and you figure out something you can do for that particular industry, even if you have 200 clients in that industry paying you, maybe a thousand, two thousand a month. That's still a very, very good income. Right. As opposed to trying to chase every other person to come in. You can get market penetration and you can focus on where they are looking. So mm-hmm. there's certain trade shows that make sense for us to go to. It's not and I mean, you know, here's here's a wonderful failure. We tried uh going to a, a our first trade show was like a corn festival. It was like mm. a family festival for corn. And and we had this idea. We were like, we're going to brand everything. We're going to call like our shack. It's going to be called Corn Hub. And we're going to have like the logo and everything. And then and then my assistant, she, like after an hour of like brainstorming, she's like, Andrew, this is like for families and stuff. I'm like, then what are we doing going to this thing? This doesn't make any sense. Like, Okay, yeah, there are families that are our clients, but this is probably not going to work and didn't work. But mm-hmm. we're trying to be everything to everybody at that point. Yeah. But, you know, trade shows for accountants and working particularly with accountants and vendors in the accounting space nice. and partners that are working in the accounting space. And, you know, I've I've been like a featured panelist on things put on by like QuickBooks and spoken with partnerships with like zero and all these things. It's like way bigger than when we were, even though our company was bigger, 
we didn't have any penetration. We were just a big company that was, you know, on fire all the time because there were a million problems because everybody had unique problems. And, you know, we did very well for, for how insane it was. But when we took a step back and really, really focused and it was like, how can we penetrate this market and have a unique value proposition that other people can't just replicate? Like there's hundreds of pages of cybersecurity law for accountants. So it's not like you can just Google like accountant IT best practices. Like there's so much that goes into it. And then like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know anything. So we'll have companies, uh, other tech companies paying us for consulting to do it for accountants for their clients because we can help more than they can. And Mm. so then we get partnerships with companies, other tech companies like we're not trying to steal their clients, but they can't provide the level of service that they need. So when you position yourself as the expert in a specific industry and you get to learn what their pain points are and you're talking kind of to the same person over and over and over, it's not that we are not equipped to handle the lawyers and the chiropractors and the dentists. Like we can still apply our operating procedure to any industry and it's going to work better than mm-hmm. someone that is just kind of jack of all trades. Because mm-hmm. there have been times also where we'll go into an office environment and from an IT perspective, they're doing a great job with cybersecurity and stuff. From a compliance perspective, what they're legally required to do, they miss almost every single box. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not the tech's fault for not specializing in this, but if something were to happen, there's a data breach and then there's all sorts of fines and fees. I think Aetna just got fined like a million dollars in penalties for a data breach because they didn't handle it correctly. And it's like, you know, could your firm afford a million dollar penalty? And I mean, yeah, it's Aetna, they're a giant corporation, but there's, there was a firm in, um, in New York that had a data breach. One of their clients was a medical center and that medical center had a data breach because of the CPA firm and the clients of, or the patients of the medical center sued the accountants mm-hmm. for letting that data breach happen. So mm-hmm. there's a whole lot at stake and it's kind of like, well, I always leave my front door unlocked because nobody's ever trying to come in. And it's like, how many times would it be enough for someone to come in and rob you for it, it to be like, maybe one. we should lock the door. Yeah, it only takes one. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of the calls we get are after the one the has happened. And then it's everything's on fire. But, you know, with our clients, after like the first couple weeks when everything is operation as normal, way easier to service them, way easier to do proactive protection way easier to perform our job. And when all of our clients look the same, we're able to triage the problems that they're having. We understand that the week of October 15th, why this is a very important week for our clients. Whereas all the previous um, tax deadlines, we, it was just, well, it's another day because it's just another day. So the accountant that 
needed us that day. It was like, well, you know, you only pay for this service, so it's going to, you know, take a while. I'm sorry, but that's what you signed up for. Whereas this year, it was if anybody has CPA or EA or any of the tax preparer designations at the end of their name, doesn't matter what they're paying for, they have to be priority number one. And so we're able Mm -hmm. to better help them because we understand the problems that specifically apply to them. And so niching has been a really, it, it didn't happen overnight, but now we're, we're getting opportunities to talk to bigger companies than we were before. And it's less commoditized because they're coming to us because they want the best, not because they need something. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And as we start to wind down the show, I have a couple wrapping up questions for you. In your bio, I also see here that you are a small business coach. So talk to us a little bit more about, you know, how did you get started in that and what specifically do you advise companies on? Because now we've literally dived very deep into niching alone and I can understand um, why you're a small business coach, but Tell us specifically why you decided to offer that service and um, what what do you think you're doing differently in that space? So the background of kind of how that started, and this was part of Rush's explosive growth a couple years ago too, was I had some friends that were like, hey, I want to start a tech company, but I don't know anything about tech. I could probably generate these sales though. Could you guys be, be the back end for our company? Mm-hmm. I'm like, sure. It's three people in a garage, whatever. Well, they grew from three people in a garage without telling us. It was just like, hmm, seems like they're sending a lot of work (laughs) these days. (laughs) They went from three people in a garage to 40 people in a call center in a very, very short time. And like I had been working hand in hand with the owner to get him to recognize some of the pitfalls of running an IT company and what he should be doing what he shouldn't be doing. Some of the things that lessons that I had learned where it was like, you are going to see this quick money. Don't do it. It's a trap. But Mm. he's like, well, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I'm like, look, here is my path. Follow my roadmap to success. And so I helped three other companies. Two of them grew to six figures and they were run. One of them in particular was run by just, Nice guy, but like actually it was two owners and they had no clue what they were Mm. doing. And we grew that company to almost a million dollars and I was showing them the ropes. And so, so I had built several. Hold on a second. So were you providing the back end while they were just making the sales on the project? So basically their company is not necessarily fulfilling the work. They're just like a sales company with, um, a direct link to you to do the yeah, service. Yeah, it is kind of like a high level like fulfillment by Amazon yeah, type okay. deal. Except okay. for we had a very strong non-solicitation clause. So all those customers that we did work for then became our customers. And so it was another merger acquisition just like, hey, you know, you were with Rescue Tech, now you're with Rush. It was okay. the same exact thing. Hey, you okay. were with these guys now we're called this. It's the same person. So we were able to get a ton of clients through that okay. exact same method. Okay. Yeah. And, and, but as far as the business coaching went, it was like every time I talk to these people, they're, they're kind of under the impression of running a business is just what I see on TV. 
and there's mm-hmm. so much more to it. And so these guys were entrepreneurs. They had it in their blood. It wasn't that they weren't willing to work hard, but they, they didn't know really how to run a company. And so I was showing mm-hmm. them and then the coaching bit started because I realized like I grew all these companies. I didn't get any money from them. I mean, their companies grew and then I acquired their customers. So, yeah, you know, it, it paid out in other ways, but mm-hmm. I had someone that came to me. It was actually the handyman that was at my house. And he was like, look, man, like I see the numbers that you're doing with rush. Like, how do I do that? Like, weren't you just a guy in the living room doing tech and now you've got like all this stuff going on? Like, how do I do that? And I was like, well, I mean, you know, it's a service industry. So there's a lot of similarities again. And, and he was like, how much do you charge? And I was like, I don't, uh, um, a hundred dollars an hour. And, and that started and he grew his company this year. His, his goal was to do a million this year. He, he hadn't broken a hundred thousand when we started working together three years ago. He hadn't broken a hundred thousand before that this year. If there were not the dip from COVID, he's on pace to do like nine seventy. There was the dip in March, so we're trying to, you know, how do we find an extra thirty thousand dollars in in November or December to make it up an extra fifteen thousand each uh, month? And I think he's going to get it. I really do. But mm-hmm. so and that's a that's a handyman company. Yeah, right? it's a handy. But we we got him to stop focusing on working in the business and work on the business. Wow. And you know, we we hear that so often in like the entrepreneur circles of don't work in the business, work on the business. And I see in like the tech forums online, people saying, what's the best RMM to use? What's the best antivirus to use? And there will be a million responses. And then there will be like the token, this isn't important for your business. Mm -hmm. You need to be focusing on growing your business, not on optimizing an antivirus, which your customers do not care about. Yeah, And so grew the handyman's company and then he started giving me referrals and then I started helping his clients and his friends' clients and just these, really it wasn't even my intention at first, but it just kept falling into my lap. And then we, you know, some people couldn't afford the services. And so kind of the downsell was this mastermind group that we do bi-weekly where a group of entrepreneurs come together and we discuss the issues and challenges that they're facing in the organization. And then everyone shares their experience as it relates to that topic. And so we're tackling really high level things. And with one-on-one coaching, you know, you can get very, very granular. And with mastermind, you knock out those rocks, those giant problems. So, I mean, there's a time and place for both. But it's Mm -hmm. a great way for people without it costing a ton of money to be able to tap into the resources. And as an owner, I can leverage my time like eight to one and still be able to provide value. And so it it works in so many different capacities. And, you know, the, the client success stories that I've had from it have just been fascinating like my my favorite one is the the handyman just because if if you had told me three years ago the guy's going to be approaching a million say no he's not like he he bills fifty dollars an hour like he will be approaching a hundred thousand if he works eight hours a day and bills those eight hours a day every day of the week 
that's mm. that is where he caps out unless he completely changes everything. And you know, the people with the growth mindset, like it was it was a great it was a great opportunity to help him grow. He's a really good person, really good friend. And you know, there's fulfillment on my side too, because like he doesn't have to make the same mistakes that I made. And I've been through the process enough times helping those other tech companies grow to six and seven figures that and my own company that we just passed the 12 million mark the other day where it's like we we are in a unique position Uh to where i've been through this process before i'm not just regurgitating something i've read on a book this is my experience as it relates to your specific issue and that's how i try to to coach with my clients and also asking a lot of questions to have them come to their own conclusions Mm -hmm. and not just, you got this problem. Here's the solution. Figure it out, Uh you know, but really working together with them, which is not a giant scalable model like tech is. So, you know, time and a place for it. Yeah. But but it's hands on and, you know, working with somebody to help them. So sometimes I found that before I got a business coach that, Sometimes you just need somebody to stand back and look and say, hey, you're in your own way. You know, you need to, like, forget about this and focus on this. Because, like you said, working on the business is much more strategically profitable than you thinking, oh, I'm going to just go and lay the pipes or do this and do that. that those are, like, low-dollar value work that you can literally get anybody to do. But the strategic thinking of, okay, how am I going to position myself in this market to take up more clients or to get more people to find me whenever they're looking for a specific problem that maybe my other competitors are not focused on in SEO because they just don't know about SEO. And since I know about SEO, I know that, okay, solving this particular problem is only going to take 15 minutes, but I can charge a thousand bucks for it. And I will rather focus on doing that than as opposed to selling the regular thing that everybody sells. And while it will take a long time, it's really, really very unprofitable for me. Yeah. And being able to have that third party perspective, you know, most of the value that any business coach will bring to a relationship, it's not even necessarily here's the knowledge that you don't possess or here's the answer to your problems, but mm-hmm. reframing what your actual issue is in a way that makes sense. So it's like, oh, my problem is is lead generation. And it's like, yeah. is your problem lead generation? Mm-hmm. Or my problem is sales. And it's like, well, okay, let's dive into that. Why are sales down? Well, you know, the salesmen aren't trying hard enough. And it's like, well, is that accurate? We can look at these numbers. And it's mm-hmm. like, you find out like, there's symptoms where it's coming out. Okay. Sales are down. So sales is the problem, but then you find out, well, marketing is down in lead generation, which has a direct correlation with the number of sales. So if Mm -hmm. we're not tracking the number of leads that come in, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're mad at sales telling them try harder, work harder. And you know, they're like, I'm not even doing anything different, but when I used to get 150 leads per week and now I get 20, you know, the reason that my sales are seven times less than they were is my opportunities are seven times less than they were. So, you know, 
And this was just, you know, my personal blind spot is wire sales and wire sales and wire sales. And it's like, well, you were acquiring companies that had 60,000 clients, like hot leads. You Mm -hmm. had channel partnerships where people were falling into your lap every single day. So, of course, it was easy for sales to be higher because there were so many opportunities. And, Mm -hmm. like, that world doesn't exist anymore. But we had to pivot and find where is rush tech fall into the conversation now? And that's where the idea of focusing on accountants and it's, you know, before we had focused on accountants, we maybe had five accounting firms in our probably more, but we'll, we'll say, for example, there, there were maybe five accounting firms on our client roster. And then, like the last month we've onboarded 23 just last Mm -hmm. month. So it's like the first six years we got five. Then we focus and we're getting, you know, double digits pretty consistently. Mm -hmm. So it's finding what you're good at and focusing on that and decommoditizing the value. And so I'm, I'm always learning because like when I started business coaching, niching didn't, make sense. It was like, well, what you should do is just (laughs) find a company that happens to have 60,000 clients ready to do business with you and just acquire it for pennies on the dollar. That's what Mm -hmm. I did. Just do that. And I mean, that does work. I I just know that I was very, 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 very lucky and fortunate, but I saw the opportunity and I wasn't so focused working in the business that I missed that opportunity yeah. because I was too busy to look deeper into it and see how it would play out. Oh, cool. Yeah. And with that said, Andrew, my friend, we've reached the end of the show. It's been a pleasure learning more about you, learn about your entrepreneurial journey. And of course your, your business coaching skills and how you're helping clients grow. But before I let you go, tell us a little bit more about where clients can find you. So the the easiest oh, I said clients, clients yeah <laughs> don't yeah. I I don't I don't want to talk to you unless you're going to be a client <laughs> no I I love I love helping people especially when they've got an open mind and are willing to uh, collaborate so the easiest way to uh, connect with me is on LinkedIn uh, the slash Lassis L A S S I S E so it's like Lassie with an S between the I and the E. And that's that's the best way to connect with me. Um, you know, we've got lots of material on rushtech.online. Um, but, you know, LinkedIn's the best way to reach out to me. And anyone that's, you know, in need of maybe even just like a quick, cause sometimes it's so easy for someone else to be like, this is your problem. Focus on this. So if anyone's in need, struggling, or just wants like even a soundboard of, you know, here's my problems, here's my problems, and I find I'll be doing coaching, and they're just describing to me their problems, and then they, as they are saying it, get their own solution, and all I did was just nod my head. (laughs) Sometimes you just need somebody to just listen to you. And then yeah. let you talk through it to figure it out on your own. I think that's um, the bedrock of the Socratic method, if I'm not uh, mistaken, where Socrates will be asking questions or the students will be listening and speaking. And then through that process, they're able to think through what they're talking about and solve the problem themselves. Yeah, I forgot that that's what it's called, but you're you're absolutely right. That 
and my certification in coaching came from the John Maxwell team. And that's a big part of what they talk about is ask the question and then just ask it a different way, the same question. So they're, mm-hmm. they're tackling from a different way. So instead of, you know, how do you solve this problem? You say, how does Facebook solve this problem? Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're looking at that. Okay. How does the guy down the street solve the problem? Mm. Uh, okay. And so you're, you're really asking the same question, but it's just a tiny different angle, but it peels back those layers of the onion and makes you think. And that's, it's a really, really, really effective method, but humans hate like thinking, Mm. (laughs) but if we're talking and then we're thinking while we're talking, it's one of the ways to kind of get the answer to your own problem, which is so much better. Like in implementation, when you come up with that idea Instead of, hey, client, do this. Bye. And it's like, why didn't you do it? And it's like, it won't work for me. It's like, it always works. You Mm -hmm. you get them to come to their own conclusion. You know what I should do? I should really do this. And I'm just Mm -hmm. thinking, yes, I did ask the right questions that got you to come to the conclusion that you needed to come to. Because if I just said this is the answer, that, that was one of the things I learned with coaching too, is I used to just, here, I got the answer. This is it. And they don't listen. But you ask the questions and, you know, it, it's have, I think having money involved with it too, where they're paying for the mastermind, like they've got skin in the game and it's, game. it's not just a, Hey, can I pick your brain? It's like, sure. I'm not busy. <laughs> true, true. Cool. So with that said, thanks a lot for coming on the show, my friend. I appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Yeah. And I, I meant to mention this, but it, we, we had a white label software called Bulletproof Antivirus and bully, Bulletproof, I think, Identity Protection. And I was like, oh, okay. man, that's like perfect for the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, if you're interested in the Bulletproof Antivirus and Bulletproof uh, Protection. It's in the Play Store or something. I'm not even sure if it still exists, to be honest. Yeah. I just thought it, well, Google it's a cool Google. name. It's Connect the coolest name. She's got the best <laughs> podcast name. <laughs> Connect with Andrew if you want to learn more about what he's doing. So with that said, thanks, and I'll see you all guys once again on the next episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast.